Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Today, I have two guests on the podcast, Jamie and Laurel Bird. Jamie is a lecturer and researcher in the School of Psychology at the University of Derby. His professional interests include domestic violence and abuse and arts-based research methods. Laura is an award-winning freelance artist and a qualified tutor with much experience in delivering workshops. In seeking to address climate change, they became members of the Derby Climate Coalition. Together, they advocate using art to express and deal with the emotional response to the climate crisis. I am keen to discover more about them and their climate-related activities. So welcome, Jamie and Law, to the podcast. Hello. Hi. So thanks for spending some time with me this morning. I'd like to start with just getting a feel where both of you became aware of the climate crisis, how that kind of arrived in your lives. What was the story behind that? So perhaps, Jamie, if you'd want to start with that question about how how you arrived at uh, n- some knowledge on the climate crisis. I think from me, think about it in a contemporary sense over the last few years, I think probably 2019, becoming really starkly aware of its impact upon me emotionally i think that was you know good credit to uh, extinction rebellion and what they were doing in april that year i think like a lot of people being aware of kind of climate and environmental breakdown over the last few decades and sometimes that was very present sometimes not or you know other things took more importance in my life but i think yeah over the last three years and particularly that kind of sense in 2019 just becoming more and more shocked and disturbed anxious fearful depressed about it so there's a real kind of bubble of kind of a good few months of just yeah not being able to sleep prep uh, properly and, and really trying to get my head around kind of the I think the science of it kind of the reality of that at, at that particular moment so I think yeah for me that was that was a real kind of turning point emotionally for what I've done since then up until that point, I wonder, had you been, had you always been aware that, oh, there's, there, there is some changes going on? Uh, how did they sit with you? Did, were you kind of aware that it was a bit like uh, hearing something on a regular basis on the news, but you weren't really tuning into it? Or were you aware of it, but hadn't attached that emotion to it? I think, you know, there's this really um, strange memory I have of kind of when I was in my late early late teens early 20s and this is like the late 80s having a real and I don't know what I'd been reading or looking at but a real sense and I remember saying oh we've got 50 years left of kind of like kind of like a stable civilization so I must have been exposed to something then and then kind of over the years just getting kind of caught up with other things of just mm-hmm. you know being an adult being a parent working etc that you know, that was in my mind, but it wasn't like, oh, well, I've got to do something about that, bizarrely. But it's kind of, yeah, it was, I think like a lot of people, there was a lost 30 years. And I can see that in my own life, there was a lost 30 years. Then it was going on, but other stuff took over. 
Yeah, I absolutely uh, resonate with that in that it was kind of going on in my own life, but I hadn't really applied any sort of importance or or critical. Oh, hang on. This is something I need to think about more. Um, Law, was it similar to you or a different type of experience? No, very much the same. I mean, I remember when I had my first daughter using cloth nappies rather than, you know, just just buying in because I knew that obviously the disposables were causing a problem um being a member of Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth but just thinking you know it's okay they will take care of it though very much that was my attitude it's like there's there's adults there that can deal with this so I can just donate my money I can do little bits myself like you know for example using the the not using disposables and I mean that was interesting in the late 90s it wasn't easy finding uh, anybody that knew how to fold nappies and stuff so I, I sort of uh, I was very lucky I had a midwife that showed me a special way to do it for a, for a newborn and and that was more by luck and and sort of those kind of things were were important to me so sort of environmental stuff very small scale and then as Jamie says it it, it wasn't really until I think 2019 just just I think I was reading a tweet which was in reference to the IPCC report and I was just oh my god I didn't realize it was that bad so there was obviously the Paris Agreement and you could you know sort of tuned in a little bit with that but again that same attitude oh the adults are dealing with this I don't need to worry about this because you know we've got things being agreed so things will get better so yes it was the shock I think of realizing actually no it isn't people aren't properly addressing this and and just realizing I've been quite ignorant but as Jamie says other things happening in your life and you you're concerned with those things and then just waking up and realizing no this is really serious we need to take this very much seriously and like Jamie says about XR raising that uh credit to them for doing that and in the, in that sort of year, that 2019, um, I mean, Jamie, you spoke about qu- a, quite an emotional response there. Mm. How did you then deal with that um, that emotional response? That sort of oh no, this is hideous, and it made you feel quite negative about mm. the world by the sounds of it. I mean, yeah, the chrono- chronology of that is. I think if you kind of frame it as a whole, looking back, it was like, yeah, just joining up, joining up with other people, um, like-minded people. And particularly another group I'd give it credit to is the Climate Psychology Alliance that I think I kind of became aware of quite quickly just because of my background as an art therapist. So picking up those kinds of messages got drawn to, okay, probably via the internet somehow, okay, who else is, you know, thinking about this on an emotional level and the, and the CPA climate psychology alliance yeah they've been in you know they've been doing this work for 10-15 years have really led the way so kind of joining up with them was helpful to get a sense of community um, I went to an art therapy conference in London and I was really inspired by hearing from people who had set up art therapy in response to the Grenfell Tower fire and another group that had set up art therapy in response to the economic crisis in Greece. And what was inspiring is that they just got on and did it. They didn't ask for permission. They didn't seek permission. They just felt moved by their heart and their passion. And I thought, yeah, that's what I need to do because I kind of have got that understanding of how art therapy works. I've seen it work with people 
in other times of crisis, whether they're refugees, asylum seekers, people who've experienced domestic violence and abuse. So it's kind of, okay, how can I take all that and transfer it across to this other crisis and this other cause of trauma called climate change, climate crisis. So from all of those, it is like coming together with other people, community, and then translating my fear into action. I'd still say sitting here three years later, I still get filled with a sense of dread and anxiety and despair. That None of that changes or goes away. And I can go through right through the rainbow of those emotions within a whole day. You know, they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> but at least I feel I'm with other people. And I'm sure as Laura would say, particularly having law and us doing that together has been kind of foundational, I think. And Law, because obviously you're both sharing a house together and a family together, did you share a similar sort of negative response? And I don't mean that as in uh, you could add it, but why did you respond so negatively? A, a very natural response that Jamie, were you experiencing at a similar time? I mean, because mm. that can be tricky if you're both sharing um, family space and you're both thinking, oh my goodness, this is quite difficult. It's, it's better if, uh, in some ways, if one of you is slightly ahead, you, the other one can support you. But if you're both feeling, gosh, this is really hard. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, because I think I internalised a lot of my fear. I didn't want to sort of let it out because it just, as Jamie said, it, it was just so overwhelming, just that sense of existential dread. And then I was sort of doing bits of research and trying to find out, you know, with the IPCC report. And I think Jamie must have got me to read. Um, we must have been discussing it because he, he sent me a copy of Jem Bendel's Deep Adaptation for me to get a better understanding of what, you know, uh, the scenario could look like. And then, you know, ways of coping that. And I think we both felt like we needed to connect with other organisations. So for me I know connecting with local XR group felt very important not to feel so alone with it all but yeah I mean we we did talk obviously and we did share responses which we felt felt were helpful it never felt that it was difficult to talk to each other but I guess we both kind of tried to contain some of the extreme feelings we felt and shielded one another from that like I can't remember either of us ever sort of really breaking down in each other's arms uh, in that way but but certainly the frustrations we felt we shared with other people perhaps or you know sort of tried to go through those in, in separate ways maybe but I don't know does that chime true for you Jamie do you think? I think so yeah I think being able to kind of bounce ideas between us uh, and kind of the kind of emotional experience as, as has been really helpful because I know I've kind of I've spoke to people where, you know, that the partner or people around them just don't, you know, they're just in a very different space and that can be really hard and isolating. So I do yeah. feel quite blessed that I guess that's what brought us together in the first place, isn't it? It's obviously kind of resonate with each other emotionally. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we both do kind of protect each other at times because, you know, there's stuff that goes on internal, which I know, you know, you know, I, probably do catastrophize things at times so i can't i don't try not to externalize everything that goes on in, in my heart and my mind and i'm sure i know law does the same but at the same time it is good to have, have someone you can kind of be really bleak with at times too mm. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's that's really interesting. And you're right in that um, having someone very close to you that is pretty much on the same page, mm. uh, I guess, is is an advantage. But outside of the two of you, you both share, by the sounds of it, uh, a need to reach out and be part of a wider community. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people do re need to be part of a I mean, I, I imagine some people don't, they just retreat and try and get under the covers and try to block it all out and perhaps don't share in that way. But for lots of people, um, reaching out into a community is a very positive thing. Why, why do you think that is uh, your experience and, and perhaps those of others as well? Oh, that's a really good question. And perhaps it relates to how you, you cope generally or an individual copes in life that some people will perhaps that retreat as you say as a way of dealing with it and there's a certain amount of shock as well I think particularly with the IPCC report for myself personally just shock of, of not seeing that coming um, and so initially yes I probably did retreat a bit but then coming out of that it's that sense of like I'm not alone in all of this and feeling of being overwhelmed so maybe people respond differently depending on how they deal with I suppose things coming at them in quite a devastating way people will respond differently but for me the community part of it is yeah it, it's definitely an essential part of dealing with things and and certainly like I go back to say deep adaptation the ideas around that it it's realizing we we can't face this as individuals we've got to come together and see it as a as a group as a community okay and You've joined the, you've sought a, a wider community to connect with and share experiences. What else have you got out of being within the community? Is it is it about sharing experiences, or is it more about that in terms of how to deal with it, maybe in, mm. an, in an active way? Yeah, there's definitely practical aspects. So with the Climate Coalition and the Derbyshire Dales Climate Hub that's come out of the Climate Coalition, it is that sense of, well, practically, what can we do to be supportive of each other? But also in terms of at a local level, are there act, actions that can be taken to be pushing policy changes? Uh, and so collectively moving towards making changes at a local level or even the, the idea of having a climate cafe repair cafes community gardens so practical support again for adaptation reasons as well as also to try and mitigate and to call for uh, the councils to declare a climate emergency so yeah definitely got the, the the practical part of being a community that there's more chance of you achieving something by acting with other people than perhaps being a just a sole agent yeah yeah, I mean, community is a space where uh, it kind of escalates action and things that can get done on a more, as you say, on a bigger basis. Mm. And it's a quite, quite a fun space to be in, isn't it? What part of those communities? Has it been what you thought it was going to be like being part of Derby Climate Coalition? Has it been a positive experience being able to engage in trying to get things done? Yeah, definitely. And, and certainly seeing people that have been involved in, in climate movements uh, a lot more than I have been and more engaged with it. So you've got a wealth of resources to draw upon as well is, I think, really incredibly helpful. So there's a lot that you can gain in terms of like shared experience and understanding. And what sort of actions you talked, you touched upon uh, a number of different types of things there. 
are they are they geared up for local action in terms of getting things done on a local basis or how much is sort of lobbying and trying to get the political system to change is it, or is it just a, a bit of a mix i'd say it's a bit of a mix from what i can mm. see i mean it, like having debate on nuclear or which is sort of it's understanding it a lot better and having different speakers in with with experience and insight can be really helpful but also as you say it's been able to lobby it's been able to affect change it's also been able to connect with youth movements as well and so i was certainly with the derbyshire dales climate hub as the name suggests it's a hub so it's about interlinking other groups around the derbyshire dales to each other so that you're more aware of what's going on and then you you can choose from that what you might want to participate in or just as i say just be aware of what's going on and then um uh, with the hub doing a survey for example of Derbyshire Dales residents also getting an idea of what people actually think locally as well so that you you can see actually rather than just guess where people are at or what they're thinking you actually then have a better idea of knowing yeah absolutely and have you found because you've obviously been with the various groups for quite a while now are you getting a sense of that more people are tuning in are understanding the extent of the crisis and are wanting to be more involved in getting things done yeah i can i can see there's kind of uh, yeah definitely kind of growth in different in different groups i think i know talking again talk, going back to the climate psychology alliance i know that our membership is kind of growing a lot where kind of more kind of people working in that field of psychology or psychotherapy really kind of explicitly thinking about climate crisis in the work they do so that that's grown and i think yeah locally with the hub i think as law says there's been people that have been working on this for for many years that i think provide a foundation and hopefully it does seem a few more people are coming on board i think some of the particularly some of the things we're doing over the next couple of months with some climate assemblies and some events around making space for nature is very much geared around public engagement i think and, and kind of trying to bring more people on board with that and make doing that in a kind of making it a safe way for people to get engaged with and i think that constantly needs kind of tinkering with really because we've used the word climate crisis uh, but not everybody wants to hear that word or use that word but they might want to think about okay how is a changing climate affecting their income or their housing or their transport and, and so the hub is kind of working trying to work with the council in terms of their public engagement activities and, and on what we can do with that i think and then i think there's an emotional component with that because mm. you know is it that some of us don't want to engage with the topic because it is so fearful or because it's kind of we haven't got space to think about that so, so it'd be interesting to see over the next uh, with these climate assemblies that we're doing in, in a public way does that does that spark more interest at a very local level around in the kind of derbyshire dells i think and and then help kind of regenerate democracy in some way absolutely mm. I think you also raise within that an interesting point about language mm. and about the fact that you're reaching out to communities and lots of people will be at different points and 
it's it's meeting people where they are, isn't it? And that's a tricky business if, as a group to be able to reach out to lots of different people in different places um, and find where they're at and then give them or allow them the space to tell their story as to, and help them along with it, isn't it? So it's you've, you've both got great people skills from the kinds of works and things that you've been involved with. I imagine that's really been valuable in being part of these groups and being able to share um, knowledge and be able to, to be active. Have you found that it's very much been in your comfort zone being part of these groups or has it been quite challenging? I think really I speak for myself in my comfort zone because I think I have, you know, kind of art therapy, if I think about, you know, is built on this idea of comfort with mess and comfort with not knowing and comfort with confusion and kind of stuff around active listening so I have been able to kind of transfer quite a bit of that across to whether that's working kind of within groups with other activists and kind of some of the, the kind of highs and lows that come with that but also particularly when working with people who aren't activists and kind of just kind of being there and listening to whatever comes up for them their kind of concerns or thoughts or whatever that might be doesn't mean to say that I don't you know, particularly when it when it comes to activism, because there can be a lot of strong feelings, and I get it myself, of being uh, frustrated or kind of angry at other people for not seeing it the way I want them to see it, and then just trying to remember, you know, have have some humility there that you know this is about trying to listen and build bridges. But I have to constantly remind myself to be humble. Mm. <laughs> I'm just a human being who's not very humble at times. So. But I, I like to think that the, there's kind of there's big, my kind of experience of skills of being an art therapist has kind of does help me to does ground me in comfort in that and not to to respond rather than react. For sure. And I'm sure Laura's got something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It does help. I think we're both very. I, I suppose we're both quite natural listeners. Uh, and it's it's important to start with where people are at rather than where you think people should be and that's a really important distinction to be mindful when you're engaging with people on climate uh, and then to try and take as many people as you can with you but that also runs into issues sometimes about principle and pragmatism mm. and where you sit with all of that it's, yeah. yeah it's not always easy and as Jamie says I think we well we with his inspiration being just getting out there with uh, with the groups, the, the workshops we've done with Grenfell Towers, and just seeing there's a need because you can see a lot of people are just literally quite emotionally spent um, with the activism. And it, you can see sometimes that can lead to perhaps people getting very frustrated and, and exasperated, particularly when politically things seem to be going in the opposite direction or quite slow so again when we've worked with the council it's remembering how far the council have shifted in in their position and just keeping on keeping on really and it just feels sisyphean there's <laughs> no doubt about it that that boulder's going to come rolling back down again and you're going to have to push it back up the hill again well i appreciate your honesty um in expressing how, what the experience has been like for you and your you know how you how you've dealt with it you both touched on there the art therapy tell me a bit more about that what is art therapy and how how does it help with this particular area should i start with that lord yeah yeah good okay 
Well, I think what it's what art therapy is drawing upon is the idea that a lot of the time it's easier to express kind of complicated, difficult, unknown thoughts and feelings in a non-verbal way. So I kind of use, you know, art therapy as in kind of visual means of doing that, but you can do that through music or dance or drama or any of the art forms or creative writing. It's just acknowledging that, you know, if we just approach things using kind of spoken word and, and cognition, that's good, uh, but that only takes us so far and that, that there's um, a lot of stuff going on inside us that isn't always apparent or on the surface but is obviously having a huge, massive impact upon kind of daily lives and our relationships. And, and you can see that happening not only in individuals, but groups, families, communities, um, society. You know, if we just kind of approach things in a rational way and only a rational way, kind of leads to a kind of, there's a whole part of kind of being alive that's missing. So bringing in arts and creativity and imagination into thinking about the past, the present and the future, I think, and that's particularly what we've, we try to bring as well is how can we use art therapy and imagination creativity to not only consider the past and the present but make a space for approaching the future in a kind of non-rational way as well as a rational way and as I say there's a lot about art therapy that is about just kind of being playful and making a mess it's it really isn't about the end product and producing nice pictures or nice bits of music that other people can listen to and go oh that's nice or I'll have that on the wall it, it a lot of it is just about kind of pure expression and so does does that does that help absolutely like, yeah. because you've 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 shared there that it's it is not you're not trying to produce a masterpiece no <laughs> uh, and that it makes it it sound but it can be accessible to everyone. Because I mm. imagine that some people might go, oh, I couldn't do art therapy. No. <laughs> um, I, I can't draw anything. Yeah. Uh, what's your experience of people that don't see themselves as necessarily creative or artistic in that way? Uh, have you had experience of them coming to the table yeah. and sharing their feelings? What's that, what's that like? I'll pass this over to Law because Law's been brilliant at coming up with some ideas and techniques for kind of bringing people in with using particular materials in a particular way which I think kind of speaks to that really well uh yeah because uh, when I've been teaching people um you can have a range of people that are just beginners particularly when I've taught in art groups and then you can have people that are very experienced but the and I do teach technique but what I am most about teaching is tapping into your own intuition and tapping into your own ability as an artist and finding finding your voice, which can be quite scary for people that are just expecting a, a kind of a join the dots approach to teaching, uh, sort of paint by numbers. I don't teach like that like that at all. So I, I have a number of techniques that I use to try and encourage people to free up and be more playful in their approach um, and to experiment. And I find that those techniques, they do tend to work once people have gotten over uh, their reservations and most of all the internal critic of you can't paint or you can't do this or just silence them and, and once you get people into mark making just simply enjoying mark making you, you're kind of 50% there so it, it's just getting people over their initial fears uh, and I remember we did one uh, workshop 
for the Centre for Alternative Technology, and we did this um, workshop online. And there was a couple of people, uh, there were students there who were engineers, and the, this way of approaching things was completely out of the box for them. And, and initially they had got the reservations, oh, I can't, can't do it, I don't think like this. And by the end, but I remember one chap and he said, you know, whilst I was doing this, I realised I've come around at a different solution. And actually, this is really invaluable way to problem solve. It's fantastic feedback because that it literally is. It's allowing a different part of your mind to engage with the process and an understanding. So from that point of view, it, it was very useful to hear that. Uh, but from another point of view, when we talk to people, because we do a lot of reflection during the activities, it's quite enriching because you can see people are starting to hear a different point of view that they perhaps weren't even aware that they had or a different approach or hearing other people's points of view. So it's really expansive. So you go in from a position perhaps of being very nervous or not necessarily nervous because you're doing uh, something creative, although that is often the case, but because you're coming from a position of being very anxious about the climate, actually starting to explore other feelings or other thoughts you might not have considered or other things so there was one lady I remember was really worried about Brexit and the impact of for her because um, she was not originally from the UK and very concerned about how it impact for her that came up very strongly in what she was creating so it allows a tool that creates a a different conversation to emerge uh, if you're willing to let go and most people are I'm always surprised at the the brave well not bravery that's not the right word but people's willingness to engage in experiments it's always fantastic to see and to learn from other people in that way and it also gives me and Jamie another avenue of conversation as well to understand our own feelings about climate too. Absolutely I love the fact that not only is it allowing people to express their feelings, but it also is giving them another skill, isn't it, that they can use in anything and everything and discover new ways of looking at the world, mm -hmm. which can never be a bad thing, can it? That, that doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be a downside of, of art therapy, is there? Do you get some people come in with the expectation it's going to do this for me and they become disappointed because it hasn't met perhaps an unrealistic or, you know, um, a different expectation? don't know if we've experienced that so much because I think we kind of set, try to kind of frame it really kind of clearly before people arrive and during that it's, it's not necessarily about kind of, kind of something deep in terms of psychotherapy in that moment but it might be therapeutic for the group or and what we're going to cover and it's not about we you know we try and say this isn't necessarily about coming up with kind of concrete material actions about change it might do but that's it's more about kind of processing those kind of feelings or emotions and, and what that might mean for the future that might be an outcome of it i would say there's probably more dissatisfaction when they realize sometimes the material we're using because what lord didn't say that she introduced which was brilliant is that a lot of the time we used um recycled packaging material for people to work with or just kind of really basic kind of grays and black charcoal so 
I think particularly people who have had experience of kind of being an artist or creative, they're kind of like, what, what is all this junk and rubbish <laughs> and trash? <laughs> and we often don't bring scissors or sellotape or glue. So what that means is people really have to use their imagination and creativity. How do you take apart this packaging? Because a lot of packaging is really sophisticated and now it's put together. And it's amazing what you can extract, you know, pieces of metal, pieces of plastic, pieces of material, um, so there will often be frustration about that, but I think when people are able to move through that and kind of say, oh yeah, there is a lot of creativity in this stuff that previously we saw as junk and rubbish and trash has got a lot of, can be regenerated and reused. And I think we often see that and explicitly you'd say, well, isn't that just a useful metaphor for where we are as a society that rather than all this stuff being thrown away or that the, there are feelings that we can just see as rubbish and push to the margins or let someone else deal with. No, we can take it on board. And um, we've been very influenced, I think, by the work of uh, Andrietti, Vanessa Andrietti, who talks about this idea of composting, about how do we compost our feelings and our emotions and our, and our politics in a way. And it's kind of, okay, it's doing that with art materials as well. How do we take stuff that is usually seen as something to discard and not of any value how can we see that as useful and i see that the same as feeling so when we're feeling guilty or angry or rageful or whatever rather than seeing as that as kind of rubbish that we want to get rid of how can we compost it and and, and kind of make use of that yeah we've created our yeah. own waste management system yeah. <laughs> i love it it's a great <laughs> metaphor for i just i'm blown away by the the fact that you've drawn on things uh, environmental to into your therapy, you know, into your art mm. therapy, that, that's, that's great. But also this idea of using it on your feelings. So how does that work? How do you compost your feelings in practice? Well, again, I think that one of the, the powerful things of composting is doing it with other people. I think it's kind of really hard to do it on your own. I mean, if, you, if you've got one other person around you, that's, that, that's helpful if they're, you know, on the same if they're resonating with you but i think kind of doing it together it feels like um you know if you think about a, a compost bin a compost bin works not just because you've got one worm but because you've got hundreds thousands of worms so it feels <laughs> like in a group we kind of do I, I do think more and more it's just about um doing it collectively really that you can recognize that uh, this feeling of dread or anxiety yeah, if it's just you, if you're just feeling it's you, then yeah, that is really isolating. You are feeling like, what do I do with that? But as soon as you can share that with other people, you can kind of normalise it and make sense of it and, mm. and then digest it, process it, turn it into something new and different. It's doing it with other people, I think. I don't know, what do you think, Laura? No, I think you're right. And also, I mean, I, I, we have had, I think... Uh, one or two people that uh just going back to your question a bit ago caroline we have had a couple of people that have perhaps been reserved and stayed mm. quite reserved and that's okay as well it's yeah. um and especially when we've done it for the center for alternative technology because there are msc students and not all of them perhaps do want to engage with it and we always make it very clear to people that you know if you if the exercise isn't working for you it's okay you don't have to reflect either you don't have to comment because it's also about respecting people's boundaries as well so that people actually do feel safe within the group that that's the key component as well i'd say 
and it's it is like james says it's just it is going from a on a journey when we do the workshops of starting off as an individual doing the mark making and then moving into by the end of it we're creating a group sculpture so it is sharing and allowing that space of sharing to be healing as well um, and not getting precious um, about your individual creation and letting go of that and the, you, I suppose with the materials as well they, they allow that to to happen um, in quite an organic way. It's, it sounds like a, a really lovely positive experience to go through. Do you find on the back of that people are coming to work out their own place and their own feelings and then within this community do people then go on to become more active i'm not saying they should but in managing those emotions does it then help them to think well what can i do or, or is it just a place for dealing with where they're at i think the the work we've done recently at talk or uh we had an explicit focus which was about feeding information back to the council and it was very important that the people we're working with knew that any comments that they made would be kept anonymous so that they could they could freely speak uh, their minds on on how they would like to see the council respond to the climate and how they'd like to see derby looking future and that there's a key part there and that was quite practical, I suppose, in a way, because we're collating information that then could be seen by the council. And we were particularly working with people that might not be your typical climate concern yeah. citizens, I guess. Uh, we were working with people with disabilities, for example. So it was, um, again, that's why it's so important for it to be anonymised as well. Yeah. So our identity was protected. Uh, but again, where climate might not be the top concern for them, but how it was impacting upon them individually, uh, as well as, you know, as they share the feelings as a group too and reflect on each other's thoughts as well. Um, but again, how they would like to see the council respond. So that felt quite powerful work to be doing because you could see a direct impact, like a direct output. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds fascinating and uh, the way you operate together and within all these different communities, you're clearly very collaborative and can see the benefit of this collaboration. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic. Where do you hope to go on from here? Do you make plans mm. about what the future looks like? Yeah, we have got plans and, and that is to kind of expand what we're doing and take what we're doing and just make it more available and in a way that more people can be involved and so it's more diverse and i think as kind of law started that then in terms of thinking about so art core is a community arts organization in derby and it's got it's been going for a good a good couple of decades and it's got great reach into you know derby city it's quite you know derby city is quite a diverse city in a way but it's also like a lot of cities it can be quite um you know, there's not always a crossover between where the power is and the kind of people that would, you know, might not have access to that part power or are more marginalised because uh, of issues around kind of economics or kind of kind of race and kind of culture and ethnicity and how that works. So I think we're really keen to take what we're doing here and make it available for. You know, those like law says, those communities that aren't always represented within environmental groups. Envi environmental groups are predominantly middle class and predominantly 
why and i think you saw we speak about this now because was it greenpeace yes they came out with saying yeah really acknowledging that and i think we have really like a lot of people over the last few years you know really started to see that climate justice and social justice are exactly mm -hmm. the same thing they're not two separate things but you do need to do a lot of work and we you know i'll just speak for myself really try to do a lot of work on my own sense of you know whiteness and that's kind of ongoing and seeing how that you know how i've been brought up my own biases and then trying to kind of learn from that about you know knowing when i can you know hold racist attitudes and racist views and and kind of seeing how when that gets in the way and just trying to work through that and again lots of other people are doing that and the climate psychology alliance again has done really good work on that so i think for me it was if we can take the work we're doing and if in a year or two years time i can see that the people coming to our groups are more representative of the kind of the, the kind of the, the range of people and the diversity of people that live in our community particularly you know whether that's in, in kind of derby particularly then i think mm. yeah that that would be with we're, we're kind of doing something but that takes a lot of hard work yeah. It's a lot of hard work because there's been a lot of kind of mistrust i think between kind of that those 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 communities and kind of what has happened in environmental groups they don't always feel like safe places for everybody i think you know that's that's uh quite right as you say that's an issue across the board bringing yeah. all these different issues they are they they are all interconnected aren't they mm -hmm. uh, and it's great that you are aware of it and are trying to address it but as you say it's not an easy no. an easy process to, to bring everyone in but uh hats off for you for having that ambition to bring everyone in because everyone everyone has a voice and everyone needs to count and yeah. it affects everyone all, all of this stuff doesn't it well exactly and you've got to take people with you and so if people do have reservations or when it comes down to bread and butter stuff we are all facing higher energy bills we need to have better insulation as you say caroline it's all interrelated and once you start to explain this isn't climate change isn't some abstract concept it, it's having real impacts here and now and with obviously what's happening globally in Ukraine, you know, those conflicts possibly may get worse. And so that then has an impact upon your heating bills. And it's, it's recognising that. And so people aren't left behind and they, they can join those dots and see they might have a different perspective to you, but you can at least fill in some of those gaps so that people gain like a little bit more insight and understanding. And with the climate assemblies, again, bringing people in so that they do feel their opinion counts. But I was going to say as well, Jamie's not mentioned, he's got a book coming out, which links up domestic violence, his previous research uh, into that, and also with migration and climate crisis. And I think it, how he's done that, uh, that book's coming out soon, will be really interesting to look at how those things all interlink as well. Mm. Well, that would be an interesting read, I'm sure. So as we wrap up here, because I could talk to you all day, that would be easy. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of aware of the time. How are you feeling about the future? That's the question I'm going to end on. <laughs> Jamie, do you want to start? Um, oh, man, that's such a big question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that depends on, yeah, on where I am each day and parts of the day. I mean, where I am right now with the future is that I think midnight has been and gone. You often hear that thing, oh, we're, 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 we're a few minutes to midnight. I think midnight's been and gone. I think we're living in tomorrow already. We just don't realise it. And that's quite, quite shocking. 
remembering that what we've experienced recently in this last week with 40 degrees, you know, many parts of the world, billions of people have been living with that for a long time. So it's not like there is here this, this kind of future for everyone. There's a future that a lot of people are already in and we're all, you know, let's take it the UK or, you know, we're joining that. So whatever that brings, I do know that the only way we're going to either mitigate or just be with that is through a sense of community coming together and building that resistance, resilience, regeneration. And that might be at a really local level, just your neighbourhood or your town. I've pretty much given up on national politics. I think it just looks like it's just kind of performative circus that's let us all down um you know it's uh, you know i think that the, the bower is outside but i do it feels like if there's a future it will be just kind of doing more and more just at that that very local level and regardless of what happens i think it'll be that it'll be that kind of local community that is what we have to fall back on Interesting. Is that, does that kind of answer it? But Absolutely. Yeah. Law. Do you want to follow that up? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with most of what Jamie said there, but we've met some amazing individuals, mm. absolutely incredibly talented, uh, innovative minded people that are doing amazing work out there already. And yeah, I can get very downbeat and feel very frustrated, but I can also admire our capacity as humans also to be incredibly innovative and resilient as well and the best of humanity is when we all come together and we have a communitarian approach to managing our resources and I think that's the way that things for me ideally lie forwards where we come together um, and we bring out the best in one another which is a bit cheesy I know but that's what takes me through. Mm -hmm. That is that is such a lovely place to end on, because I think throughout this very honest conversation, community collaboration, those two things are the theme right through. And I think that's such a, a positive place to end the conversation on. So thank you both very much for your time this morning. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Caroline. Really appreciated it. I want to thank Jamie and Law for sharing their experiences of climate change so openly and honestly. It's important to recognise that the facts can be difficult to deal with, and it can be frustrating when responses by government are not what we hope them to be. We have agency though. Jamie and Law demonstrate theirs by uniting with others to share experiences and taking action at a community level. They also have tapped into their professional skills to support others through art therapy which can provide new ways of thinking and tap into your creative brain. Fascinating. To connect with Jamie and Law, links can be found in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music and to you for listening. Don't forget you can follow the podcast to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share it too. It really helps. The next episode will be coming out in September. So until then, bye for now.